Acts chapter 9. Uh, this obviously is a, is a break from... We returned to Luke for two weeks, and now we're sort of out of Luke again for this. But Luke wrote Acts, so that's okay. Um, this has been on my mind for about two weeks, this message. I have not really been that sure what to do with it. I think this weekend I've had the equivalent of writer's block, where you just sit and look at a screen and you think, I don't know what to write, I don't know what to write. And then you suddenly realize that the Holy Spirit is probably responsible for that because he's got a really simple message and he doesn't want me to overcomplicate it and uh, make it into a confusing message. So Acts chapter 9, I do think this is a word for us uh, as we go into the next five, six months, whatever that will look like. And it's pretty simple. I don't think you're going to learn anything new, but um, sometimes God just needs to say the same thing over and over again for us to be reminded of us of it and to uh, respond to it. So three questions that I, that I want to hang out here. Let me, let me read, before I bring these questions up, let me, let me read some verses from Acts 9. Very, very familiar passage. Uh, verse 1, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus, and for three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. Now we'll pick up. A uh, little bit more with the passage in a, in a moment or two. But here, here are three questions that I want to just put out right at the start. So they're in your mind as we go through this morning. Um, I'll, and I'm going to put them up to the top of the screen in a, in a minute so that you can see them the whole way through. The questions are, am I a Saul? Now that doesn't mean you're, you're you know, going to kill some Christians or lock them up. But am I a Saul who needs an, an Ananias? It's hard to say an Ananias. But am I a Saul who needs an Ananias? Am I in a position that we find Saul in in this passage and I need somebody to bring me some Jesus, yeah? some spirit, some presence? Um, and the other, another question, is there a Saul who needs me to be an Ananias to him or to her? That the roles are reversed and I need to bring that to somebody else who is struggling and where is this straight street that's going to be referred to a little bit later in the passage? If we just read on, verse 10, In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, Go to the house of Judas on straight street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. 
In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. So, the place that we find Saul in, in this passage, is he is alone. I think there's a good chance the team that went with him to go to Damascus to cause havoc and to round up the Christians and to bring them back to Jerusalem, they probably blew town after the bright light and seeing their leader getting blinded. They probably didn't want to hang about and see what was going to happen next. So there's a good chance those guys got him into Damascus and says, we're out of here, mate. We're not going to, to, to pick any more fights with somebody who can cause bright lights to shine and knock you off your donkey. Uh, he is blind and he is weak. Okay, he hasn't eaten for three days. He can't see. He's terrified. He is in a place of confusion, darkness, blindness, not knowing what's going to happen next. Everybody in Damascus in the church probably knew that Saul was coming and he's now in the middle of Damascus. He's blind and he's probably thinking these Christians are going to get a hold of me and they're going to tear me apart and I deserve it. So that's the the position that, that Saul is in. But he is also praying. And when you're in that sort of position, your prayers become very simple. All the eloquent words go out the window and your prayers frequently are things like, Oh God, help, (laughs) help me, help Jesus, please. And and Saul's praying right there, I would say would be pretty fervent, pretty energetic praying, but I would say it was also very simple. And this was not the first time he prayed. Saul had prayed his whole life. Saul was a man who who had pursued God and pursued the law his whole life. But all of a sudden his prayer life is changing pretty drastically after this encounter. And so we, we get Ananias coming into the story. This is the only place that he shows up in Scripture. And after Jesus has said to him, go to straight street and ask for Saul, Ananias does what you or I would do. He's not quite sure. And it says in verse 13, Lord, I've heard many reports about this man. He's being very polite, <laughs> you know. Jesus has just told him to go to the murderer Saul. And and Ananias is quite polite and he's like, "Uh, well, maybe you haven't heard. Maybe you're not aware of this guy's track record, Jesus. But uh, he's done a lot of harm to your saints in Jerusalem. And he's come here to arrest everybody who calls on your name. He's not sure. Ananias' faith is faltering. Yeah. He's heard Jesus, but he's just not quite sure. His trust is not that strong. And he reminds me a wee bit of, he reminds me a wee bit of uh, me, (laughs) okay? Have you ever found yourself where you know and you feel God's calling you towards something, but you're just faltering a wee bit? And I think sometimes what we can do is we can engage our mouth at that time and we can talk a good game like we're really confident that we're ah, this is definitely going to work 100% no problem but at the same time our heart is going 200 beats and we're terrified <laughs> and I just like the honesty of, of Ananias here that he's like I don't know about this this doesn't sound wise to me do you ever feel that God's calling you to something that doesn't quite make sense that maybe even looks dangerous or risky And you're not that sure about it. You're in good company. (laughs) 
because you're basically in line with everyone in the Bible who God used for his glory and everyone in the church ever since who God used for his glory. The vast majority, in fact, I, I would sort of be tempted to say all of them weren't quite sure. All of them were wobbling a wee bit probably at the magnitude of what God was calling them to do. And it's probably good to just let your heart actually overflow out your mouth and, and acknowledge, I believe God's calling me to this. I'm a bit worried about it. <laughs> you know, I'm a bit concerned. It feels a bit strange, but I'm going to do it anyway, instead of putting on a whole mouthful of bravado whenever actually we're a wee bit faltering in our faith. And I see, see what Jesus does immediately afterwards in verse 15. The Lord said to Ananias, go. And it's not, that's not an angry go, I don't think. That's not a, you know, how dare you, you, you know, get up and get out of here right now. He gives Ananias a wee bit more detail. He reassures him. He says in verse 15, this man Saul is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. So Jesus is gracious with Ananias. He sees that Ananias is faltering and he gives him a little bit more. Doesn't give him the whole picture, the whole detail, but he gives him enough just to reassure him and strengthen him that it is safe for him to go to Saul. And one thing that, that I thought about, about Ananias is that the answer to prayer is frequently a person. The answer to prayer is frequently a person. There's a wee story told, I'll not go into it because you've heard it probably, but about a guy who's sort of, I think, lost at sea or something and he prays, God help me, and a boat comes past and he says, no, 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 I'm not getting on the boat. And a helicopter comes over, he's like, no, 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 I'm not getting on the helicopter. And then he asks God, why did you not save me? And God says, but I sent a boat, I sent a helicopter. I think in a lot of our situations, the answer to prayer is a person. And for some of us, that just isn't spectacular enough. We want angels fluttering down and opening our blind eyes and, and giving us food after our three days of hunger. We want something that is big and amazing. But is it not big and amazing that you could be praying and at exactly the same time, somewhere else, 10, 15, 20 miles away, other side of the world even, God could be just prompting somebody to respond. The answer to prayer is a person. Don't always look for the spectacular. Don't be disappointed when Ananias shows up. You know, it's just a regular Joe. And you're praying, God, help me send something incredible. And Ananias walks in and you're like, oh, <laughs> it's a good job. Saul couldn't see because he probably could, would have just said, what? <laughs> you know, who's this? He's just a regular dude. He probably was on the hit list. The irony of it, Saul probably had a list of key people in Damascus that he was going to find and bring back to Jerusalem. Ananias was probably on the list. He's just a regular follower of Jesus, if there is such a thing. And I wonder how many times does, does prayer go unanswered for people, or apparently unanswered? Not because God hasn't responded, but because God has maybe put his finger on us and said, I want you to go to that person and we haven't responded. <laughs> the answer to prayer is a person, but sometimes the person maybe doesn't, doesn't go, doesn't obey. It's not that God hasn't responded. And Jesus, he orchestrates this whole thing, but he needs someone to go. We are his body. He is the head. 
It's really simple. He shares his desires, his, his thoughts, his, his will, but we are the hands and the feet that have to then go and bring it to people. It's a wonderful thing when God weaves together a praying person and somebody who's, who responds to a prompting. Um, you're, you're well aware, a lot of you that have been around for a while, but when, when table started way back in, in sort of late 2013 in a house in Portadown, the, the owner of that house, I went up to her one, one day and I, and I said to her, because I had taught her sons years before, and I went up to her and I said, listen, I've been thinking about your boys, how are they doing? But it'd be great to see them, to catch up. Are they all right? And she just started crying and said, I've been praying that you would get in contact with my boys. Now, that to me, I couldn't handle that if that happened every day. <laughs> you know, I just couldn't. I couldn't process the magnitude of it. But when stuff like that happens, it's real simple. But it is powerful. It really is. It's absolutely class. Respond to those wee promptings to pick up the phone or to just ask somebody how you're doing. I've been thinking about you. How does Saul feel as the door knocks? He's in that room in the dark, weak, scared. There's a knock on the door. Who is it? Is it somebody coming to take me away and give me what I deserve? And Ananias comes to the door. And never did one word mean more to Saul in his entire life than the word brother. The first thing he hears from the mouth of a Christian is brother. All his fears at that moment, gone. He knew he was part of the family. Jesus, we're talking about this on Thursday night, a few of us. Jesus, after his resurrection, for the first time, he referred to his disciples as brothers in John 20, 17. All the way through the gospel, it's disciples, it's followers, it's friends, and then it's brothers. The family of God. And whenever Ananias walks into Saul, and think again of these questions. Are you an Ananias? Are you someone who's going to bring family to somebody over the next five or six months? Somebody who's, who's struggling for companionship. Someone who is lonely and needs someone to bring them into a place of family. Because the church is a family. But that word powerfully affected Saul. Of all the words and all the languages and all the world, there would have been none at that moment that would have impacted him like that word. Brother. And people need family surely now more than ever. Second thing that Ananias brings to Saul is spirit. It says in verse 17, placing his hands on Saul, Ananias said, Brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me to you so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Another thing that Ananias brought to Saul was the presence of God was the presence of God. Is that something, are you, question one, are you a Saul who needs to, to reach out to somebody else and say, listen, just come and spend some time with me and bring me to the presence of God? Or do you need, are you the Ananias who needs to, to reach out to someone and say, listen, let's spend a wee bit of time together and enjoy God's presence together? I enjoy the presence of God. There are times when I've been on my own praying reading his word, seeking him, and I've really enjoyed and felt his presence. But I can tell you from my personal experience, I have never encountered his presence on my own 
in quite the same powerful way as I've encountered it with other believers. That's just my experience. That may, I don't take that as a theological, you know, foundational fact. But my experience is when I'm with other people, I encounter the presence of God in a way that is more, I don't know, just, it, it's just more. <laughs> it's more for me. And, and Ananias brings spirit, the presence of God to Saul. Let's get together and be in his presence, Saul. Let me, let me bring you to Jesus. Another thing that Ananias brings is vision. Saul, who cannot see, literally, physically blind. Um, I don't know whether it's possible that the brightness of the light could have caused some sort of scarring on his eye or his eyes, but he, he can't see. He's in the dark Have you experienced just being in a bit of a fog spiritually in life, whether it's uh, because of work or because of family or because of health or because of other relationships? There's, There's just a bit of, there's fogginess. There's lack of clarity. Ananias comes along and after a bit of time with Ananias, you can see again. You get your clarity back. You get your vision back because you've been with somebody else who has helped you to see clearly when on your own you were struggling to actually see clearly. Brings him vision. Another thing that Ananias brings him is strength. At the end of the encounter in verse 19, it says that that Saul took some food and regained his strength. Again, that's physical strength. That's real food. But I want to just just bring the, the illustration that after he spent time with Ananias, Saul regained his strength. Having been on his own and been fearful, he now, and being weak, he now is strengthened. This again is the outcome. When we spend time together, iron sharpens iron. We are strengthened. We go away encouraged, more effective, um, renewed. That's, that's the magic that happens on Straight Street whenever Saul and Ananias come together. So he brings family by calling him brother. He brings presence by by bringing and, and seeing him filled with the Holy Spirit. He brings vision where there was blindness and he brings strength where there was weakness. This one guy, regular Joe, living in Damascus, fearful about Saul. But the things that we read earlier about Saul being blind and being weak, without food, all of those things are reversed because Ananias went to see him when Jesus told him to. And Ananias also knew what not to say. At the the end of verse 16, Jesus said to Ananias, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. It's interesting to note, Ananias did not tell Saul that. Ananias did not tell Saul that. He didn't go with a wee gloaty grin on his face and say, well, here's the guy that has caused the church to suffer and I'm going to tell him that he's going to suffer. There wasn't a wee sense of one-upmanship. There wasn't a sense of, you know, told you so or it'll tighten you. Ananias did not share that with him. Jesus said, I will show him that bit. I'm going to tell you, Ananias, so you're aware of it. But Ananias doesn't tell Saul. And I, I don't know about you, but sometimes when I pray for people, I do feel that, that, that God shows me things that are not to be shared. <laughs> just, to be, just to be aware of so I can encourage people so I know how to pray for them, but not necessarily to relate to them exactly as I feel God is leading me. 
I just don't know that Saul could have handled it at that moment. He probably felt he deserved all the suffering in the world to land on his shoulders. And if Ananias had come and said, listen, mate, you're going to suffer, you know, with some sort of superficial, hypocritical, I'm really sorry to bring you this word, brother, you know, but you're going to have a hard time. (laughs) He doesn't do it. He just keeps that to himself. Jesus said, I'll show him. Leave that with me. I guess you could call Ananias an early influencer. If he was about today, he'd have an Instagram account and he'd be standing holding bottles of aftershave and stuff. And uh, He has influenced Paul incredibly here. Just incredible. Like even, even though we all know this and, and anyone that's walked with God for any period of time and even, uh, even, even from very young age in Sunday school, this is, this is a story we're familiar with. But it has struck me as I've thought about this, how much Paul learned in this encounter. And, you know, Paul was raised as a Pharisee. He was raised in the top school of, of the law. He knew it all and he really did know it all. That, that was not an arrogant thing. He knew it all. And he knew it well, and he knew it better than anybody. But what influenced Paul, I wonder, in, his, in the rest of his life and ministry and the letters he wrote, was Paul more influenced by his upbringing and his theological education, or was he influenced more by his time with this regular, probably not very well-educated dude from Damascus? Look, look what he learns. He learns about the family of God. How much does Paul write in his letters about the family of God? Brother is in every single one of Paul's letters, except Titus. And instead of Titus being referred to as his brother, he refers to him as his son. Family. The family of God was introduced to Saul by Ananias on Straight Street, and it influenced the rest of his life and his writing. The Spirit... I would I keep telling you and I tell you again, sometime when you're reading through the New Testament, get a new Bible or a, or a fresh copy of the New Testament and just every time Paul refers to the Spirit, highlight it. It's incredible. Absolutely incredible. Every time he, words, he uses the word Spirit or spiritual or anything like that, you highlight it because it's to do with the Holy Ghost. And it was, it was Ananias that brought that to him. Spiritual vision. He writes, he writes about vision and clarity and revelation. He learned that from this encounter with Ananias. The body of Christ. The fact that he didn't have to go to a priest or he didn't have to go to, to somebody important in the world's eyes. It was an, just a normal Christian. It was the body of Christ doing the work of the head. The, the, the idea of being strengthened and strengthening one another comes up again and again and again in his letters. Where did he first encourage, or encounter that? It was with Ananias. Healing, he talks about healing. He prays for the sick and he encourages the church to pray for the sick. He encountered it himself with Ananias. And I think this meeting actually influenced Paul probably more than anything else in his life. Are you an Ananias? Can you bring this to somebody? And the, the biggest thing, grace, goodness me, how much did Paul write about grace and how much did this encounter teach him about grace? Outrageous grace, as Robin Mark would sing. Outrageous. The guy who was coming to town to kill me and I went and called him brother because Jesus told me to. Wow. <laughs> How much did Paul, Saul, learn about that? Jeff Lucas, writing about grace, 
Jeff Lucas is brilliant. Um, he's funny and he's good. Grace will always be an abstract and possibly irrelevant idea to us if we don't see it simply, beautifully modeled in a grace community. Will we live as the working model of grace in action or will our lives and words contradict the doctrines that we say we believe? The way I would put that simply is that I feel the challenge from from Jesus to his church, this church, every church is, Whenever you're doing a good job at showing grace to one another, I will then open the door and allow you to show grace to the world. (laughs) Get it right among each other, first of all, and then I will let it spill over into the streets. And I wonder sometimes, do we underestimate the, the, the power, the influence that we have on people? You just think, ah, I'm going to give somebody a phone call. I'm going to pay them a quick visit or whatever. Such influence came from one meeting. Note how the passage begins and ends. 9, 1 and 2, Saul breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He wants to go to the synagogues in Damascus to find any there that belong to the way so that he can make them prisoners. That's how the passage starts. Now, where do you see what it says after? This is one of the things that you just don't notice sometimes. But after Ananias is done with them, He spent several days with the disciples in Damascus and began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus was the Son of God. You see the the transformation from going with murderous threats to bring them as prisoners to Jerusalem, anyone he found in the synagogues of Damascus. And now he's hanging out with the disciples and he's preaching in the synagogues that Jesus is, is the Son of God. That's incredible. And in between those two verses, in between, you know, or verse 1 and 2 and verse 19 and 20, we would very, very quickly say, he met Jesus. And he did. And that's the key thing in transforming him. But don't forget, he also met Ananias. He also met Ananias. So, am I a salt? Do I need an Ananias right now to bring me those things? And have I got the simple just humility and courage to say, please, can we meet sometime? I could do with some, some family. I could do with some strength, some vision, some spirit. Or is there someone that you're aware of who needs you to, to go to them? And then the question, and I think this is where the message began for me a week or two ago, is the idea of, of Straight Street. Where is Straight Street? Well, I want to suggest that it's here. <laughs> because we're not allowed to meet in our homes. Um, who knows what, what way things will go with coffee shops, but there aren't too many coffee shops about here open in, at, in the evening where we can meet. We're very limited as to where we can get together, but we are absolutely completely within the guidelines to be here with our Bibles open, encouraging one another. And I would really beg of you to do it. Use the place. Use it. Let this be your straight street. Let this be the place where you come two or three or four and you, you encourage, you build one another up. You role play. One night you might come and you're Ananias and another day you might come and you're Saul. But this, this is your straight street, I think, for the next few months. Use the opportunities that we have. Don't, don't just retreat back and say, well, we're not allowed to meet anymore, so we'll just stay at home and watch TV. Get out and encourage one another. I beg of you. I do believe this is something that God's put, put on me for us. It's really simple, but it's really, really important as we, as we go forward.
Amen. Aaron, come on ahead, please.